we're going to actually try to preach a little shorter. I don't know if we'll make it or not, but because uh, baptism was, is really part of the message, and, and we're in this 100-day dare, and we're reading through Scripture, and last week we preached about Proverbs, and then a whole lot happened <laughs> in our reading, and we've made it all the way to the New Testament. In fact, this morning, uh, if you're reading along with us, you can jump in. We're in the book of John now, uh, but I, I want to read something that we're getting ready to read this week because it kind of bounces around, but it's in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, because <laughs> you're Jesus, right? And John recognized it before anyone else. And the Jesus answered him, he said, Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. I think it's interesting to know that what these people did today and last night and will in the next service is the same thing that actually Jesus did. Now, it's really interesting because Jesus, as God, you know, I don't think theologically he needs to be baptized, but he's also the word made flesh, and he also came, as, came to show us the way. And so he, he identifies with us in the waters of baptism, and so he goes into, into the waters of baptism with us because he came as the word made flesh to come and dwell among us, to be among us, to show us the way. And as we look at this, as he went into the waters of baptism, there's something interesting because he, he reveals a baptismal identity. Everybody say baptismal identity. Because we're going to talk about that here today. But something interesting happens about his identity that's revealed as he comes up out of the water that's also something that we identify with as well. We've talked about it before, but, but it's so key for us to recognize this and not just skip over it. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 it says, and when Jesus was baptized, just like we just saw, it says, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. A couple things here. One thing that's interesting is right in this moment, we see a picture of the Trinity. We see the Son, we see the Spirit descending, and we see God the Father speaking. So the Trinity, the three persons of God, all represented right there. But we also see something else that's so important, and I believe somebody needs to catch today. Because there's the words that the Father speaks over the Son, he says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, this is before any miracles. This is before any of the crowds even knew who he was. This is before there were any, any people chasing him down or seeking him out. This is before his name was known. This is before any of that that the Father says that he is well pleased. Now, I need somebody to hear this today because somebody is trying to find the Father's pleasure or his acceptance and approval by the things that we do, rather than who we are. And I want you to hear that, that just as Jesus identified and part of his identity was revealed at baptism by the Father, that I want you to understand that when you are in Christ, your identity is the Father says, you are a son, you are a daughter in whom I'm well pleased before you've done anything, before anybody knows your name, before you can accomplish anything, do anything, not sin well enough, whatever it is for you. Somebody needs to hear that today. And I, I can tell you, even as a, as a pastor, I struggle with this because what happens is instead of having a baptismal identity, we get our identity in other things. And so I was thinking about this this week when we were a church, much smaller church, and we were setting up 
and tearing down after every service over in Shoal Creek Elementary. How many of you guys were back with us in those days? All right, several of you guys, yeah. And, and you remember what it was like, right? I mean, we would come in and roll in really early in the morning, and we, even some of the chairs you're sitting on uh, over in Auditorium 2 or mingling in here are some of the same chairs that we got so tired of sitting on the, the school chairs that you needed to have a healing service because of your back hurt so bad after every tr- service. So we brought, we got a trailer, and we trailered in our own chairs every single weekend. We set up a backdrop. We had, some of you guys remember, we had a projector that we didn't have anywhere to put it, so we rigged up this system on the basketball rim where we had the system that would sit up on the rim, and it took a certain number of Journey Church invites to get the angle just right. We would, we would uh, set up, you know, our nurseries were curtains that we hung up off of the drop-down ceiling uh, what really got us every single, uh, su- or every single year at some point, see, we used all the, the tables for the school, and then, then would book fair would come. And we would walk in, and all the tables of the school would be used, and they'd be stacked up with books. And we'd be like, well, what do we do now, you know? And so we would literally take a picture of all the books on the tables, and we would take all the books off. And use the tables, and then at the end of the day, we would put all the books back on to look exactly like they were when we left. I'm telling you, it was a mess, right? And so we would go to all this work and all this stuff, and there'd be days, I'm just being real, there'd be days when not very many people would show up for whatever reason, and I would just be mad. I'd be like, we went to all this work. We went to, did all this stuff. And, and people didn't show up like they were supposed to. And I'd always had this suspicion that, that there were people who knew somehow they found out what I was going to preach on and they needed to be there and they skipped town just to not be there. And so I was mad at those people. And, and then one day God just was convicting me and he was like, you know that I knew from the foundation of the earth before I even created the earth. See, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows every single thing. He's like, I knew who was going to be in that room that particular day. And here I was despising at times, that disparaging, oh man. And, and God convicted my heart and he said, you preach to whoever I bring you. You serve whoever I bring you. You love whoever I bring into that room. Because I knew they were going to be there. I knew what needed to happen. See, the problem was, if I'm just being honest, there's a part of my identity that was connected to how successful it is sometimes. There's a part of your identity, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe there's a part of your identity that's connected with what you do. And I was undercutting God's purposes and plans and the ability to love people effectively because my identity was connected, not in the baptismal waters of death, burial, and resurrection, but in something that I was doing for God. And it's easy to get offended at God. It's easy to get offended at other people if your identity is connected to it. But I just want somebody to hear today that your identity is not wrapped up in how successful you are in ministry. Your identity is not wrapped up in how good of a parent you are or how good your kids are. Your identity is not wrapped up in your net worth. Your identity is not wrapped up in your relational status. It's not wrapped up in any of that stuff. Your identity is wrapped up in who the Father says you are. And somebody needs to take off the layers again because what's happened is, when, when I went on my sabbatical for six weeks, I, I just went and I shut off everything else just to spend time with God in 2018. And I, I had nowhere to go for six weeks. And that was really scary. Because if, if you're honest, and there's pieces of us all that our identity is still connected with what we do. And so I had to wrestle with this. I have nothing to do. Who am I? And it sounds funny, but it's true. Like, who, who am I? Who am I without the title 
of pastor? Who am I without the title of husband or father or friend or any of those things? Because all those are titles, really. They're good things, but they're still titles. They're, they're, they're something that it's easy for us to wrap our identity in instead of the waters of baptism. And so I had to take down all the layers, all the layers of all the titles to get back to this place where I knew that if all of it went away, that I was God, I was one of God's sons. And that was purely enough. And somebody needs to be reminded of that today. Because you've been wrapped up in the titles. You, you've been wrapped up in, in being, being the, trying to be the best dad that you can. And those, that's a good thing. But trying to be the, the, the best worker that you can or the best business leader that you can. And all those are, are fine things. But listen, if your identity starts to get entwined with that, entangled with that, it becomes easy to get off course and easy to get offended. And so... I saw this video this week that's really just a song with words. But as I watched it, it's like the Holy Spirit impressed upon me that, that somebody needed to have a moment like this. And I've been doing this long enough to know that I need to pay attention to these things. And so what I want us to do is this video plays. I, I just felt like this is going to be an important moment for somebody to take the layers off once again. And just this is only two minutes long. But could we just sit here in the presence of God for two minutes and allow him to take off the titles, to take off the layers and to reconfirm in our hearts that it's not, it doesn't matter how successful we think we need to be. That's not what's going to gain God's approval. That you don't need to prove something to God. You've already been approved by what he did through Jesus. And so as we listen to this, just take a moment before God and ask God to take off all the layers and remind you of who you really are. Let's watch. Gracious Father, we give you praise and thanks for this holy communion, the body and blood of your beloved Son, the body is broken, God's love poured open to make us new Lord make us new Abba Father we bless your name and take part in this holy communion make us Here's the thing, this identity that God gives us, this baptismal identity, 
it, it, how does it work? How does it inform our identity of who we are? We, you know, we, can just, we can do this or we can try to understand what is baptism really all about? I'll just give you uh, three things on, maybe this is put a little different than maybe what you've heard it before, I don't know, but number one, baptism is a sign of the new covenant in Christ. Everybody say new covenant. There's a new covenant. Now if we go back to the old covenant, there were some signs. Genesis chapter 17, verse 10 and 11, it's a little strange for us to think about, but it was God setting apart his people. It says, this is my covenant with which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So there was actually a physical mark on the people of God that were set apart. What's interesting about that is uh, it was decided for them. They didn't have a choice. They didn't even know why it was happening. I mean, if you're just a, a baby and that's happening to you, you don't have a choice in the matter. And so, uh, but it was God setting apart his people with a physical sign or a physical mark. And so in the old covenant, what happened is you were physically altered, whether you knew it or not or knew why. You, we could say it this way. You were almost born into it, right? But in the new covenant, we're not called to be born into it just automatically. We're actually called to be born again, right? And so there's a difference. In the old covenant, you're born into it. We could say it this way. In the old covenant, you're born into it. In the new covenant, you believe into it. And so there, there's a difference. There's a, there's a pretty big difference. That's why some people will ask, well, why don't you baptize babies around here? You know, because maybe other churches do that or other denominations. Well, the reason why is because that, that's to, to what I read in the scripture, that's an old covenant idea to be born into it, whether you had a choice or not. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, what we see is that someone who has not just been born into it, but they believe into it, it's not a physical mark on their body where they don't have a choice, but it's actually a circumcision, the Bible says, of the heart. Watch this. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, In him also you were circumcised. But this is with a circumcision made without hands. This is a new covenant thing. This is a new thing that God was doing after the cross. It says, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then it ties it in with baptism, giving us this idea that circumcision in the old covenant was a sign, but baptism in the new covenant is now a sign. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so we, we see this, that baptism paints this outward picture of what has already happened to us inwardly. That's what the Bible's saying here. So when we go into the water, as we said earlier, that what, what's happening is we're being buried with Christ. We're painting a picture that just as Jesus was buried and raised from the dead, now we are entering into that burial and resurrection because of what has happened on the inside of our heart, because of what because God's grace has come to us through faith. That's the only way that we can be saved. And that's that word baptized is that Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. It means that's why we go into the water. That word is tied with this idea of like a sunken ship that goes under the water. You know that every single part of that ship is enveloped in water. That's a picture of what happens with a, a believer who's, who's come to faith in Christ, that every single part of our being has been affected. In fact, the Bible says we are a new creation, right? We're brand new on the inside. And, and so baptism is a sign of the new covenant in Christ. Second thing is baptism is an act of new follower obedience. So it's not just about the new covenant. It's if you are a new follower of Jesus, we do this because Jesus commanded us to and because he showed us the way. Now, we know that bab baptism, now there may be some tension here, but baptism is not 
what saves you because we are not saved by any work that we can do. We're saved by grace through faith. There is a mysterious connection there, though. It's, it's, like, it's like they're tied together in some way. But I've had people ask me, well, well what happens if, if I come to faith in Jesus, and then before I can get baptized, I get hit by a bus? What happens? And my wife's always like, why is it always a bus? I, I don't know why it's a bus, but it's always a bus. You're going to get hit by a bus. I don't know. But, and what happens? Because if Jesus said, repent and be baptized, and I, and I do repent, but I can't get to the waters quick enough, what happens? Well, I just believe from everything I know about Jesus, everything I know about God, that God's grace is big enough to cover the gap. No matter what, his grace is big enough to cover the gap. And so baptism is this act of new follower obedience. What we do know is that baptism is definitely a testimony. It's definitely testifying of what has happened to your life. It testifies to being changed by Jesus. It testifies to being a repentant, to having a repentant life, to being a new creation on the inside. It testifies to the grace of God in our life. So baptism is this public proclamation of our faith in Jesus. And you may have a private moment, like even in a service like this. You may have a private moment in your room at home where you surrender your life to Jesus. But this is like a public moment where you're saying, hey, everybody, I want you to look what happened. I want you to see what happened. This is the public moment. This is like going public with our faith, and that's why we celebrate that. And one thing we do know about baptism is it is that public thing going from the outside or from the inside out. It's also this reenactment of what Jesus did. You know, that he was buried. He was literally buried. He died, but he also literally rose from the dead. So we're uniting with what Jesus has done. It's a very, very powerful thing. And, and it testifies to that. And we read this earlier, but let's read it again. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're tied with him. This is going to be important later on. We're tied with his death. We were buried, therefore, with, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we get to walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. So it paints a picture of what has happened in our life. Now, some of us, you know, we, you guys ever struggle like leaving the old life sometimes, right? Like you find that still comes up from time to time. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor at a large church. It was a, just picture this auditorium. It was like 2,500 seat auditorium. And the, the baptismal was two stories up on one side. So you had to go upstairs. And it was just like, just imagine a hole cut out in the wall, two stories up. And so you'd go up there and it had this curtain and you open it up when it's time for baptism. And we would do the baptism. There'd be a tank up there and showers and stuff and, and a microphone up above, you know, catching all of the, the, you know, the, the words and stuff that were spoken because we didn't want to hold a mic and get electrocuted. That was always a good thing. And... Uh, so we would do it before service would start, but there'd be a lot of people, friends and family that would be gathered around, ready to witness this baptism. And, and there were so many times when I baptized like hundreds of people in this baptismal. But I can't tell you how many times I would go there and I would touch the water before I'd get ready to get in, and it would be ice cold freezing water. Somebody, his job was to turn on the heater, and I'm telling you, 95% of the time, they would forget to turn on the heater, and the water would be ice cold. And so I would tell the people, you know, that were getting baptized, like, I'm so sorry that the water is ice cold. And I realize you're here, I'm here, I'm willing to get in and to baptize you in the ice cold water, 
But if you want to reschedule, we'll try to make sure that the heater's going. And many of the times, they would just say, no, I'm going to do it. My family's all here. Or I'm already ready. I'm already dressed. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And so I would get down, and it would be in the icy, cold, frigid waters. And, and I'd baptize people, and, you know, it, it, it'd all work out generally. And uh, there was this one lady, though, who um, I said the whole thing. I was like, I'm sorry. In the water's ice cold. I'll baptize you, you know, whatever you want. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. And so... So I get down in the water, kind of peek out the curtain, get the sound man's attention. We're ready to go, turn on the mic, and I open up the curtains, and I start to talk and say, you know, welcome to this baptism service and all this type of stuff, and introduce, every, introduce the whole thing, set it up. And as this lady is starting to come down the steps, you, you remember there's a microphone picking up everything, right? As she's coming down the steps, there's like a curse word for every step that she's feeling the water. <laughs> And she gets in there, and I'm like, I baptized you in the name of the Father. <laughs> I'm going to hold you under a little bit longer so the old life can leave and you can walk in newness of life, you know. <laughs> Paint a picture. I don't know if it's happened yet, but we're going to make it happen right now, right? So it's this proclamation, identification of what happens in Christ. But there's also one other thing that I want to mention that's interesting about baptism that maybe we haven't thought about too often. Because baptism is also a new creation prophecy. It's not just something that you do at the beginning of your walk with Jesus and then move on from, but it's actually prophetically declaring something. Now, to help us understand this, how many of you guys remember what happened Thursday, last Thursday of this week? There's a lot of snow that happened. You guys remember that, right? So there's something I want us to catch about that. So let's, let's watch this video. Have you guys ever had the thought, why snow? Why snow? It's Thursday, it's the big snowstorm, and I'm sure some of you guys had that thought, why snow? I was gonna record this outside, but it's so windy out there, it is so cold out there. I love the snow, and even I'm thinking, why snow? But there's a scripture in the Bible, Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So you asked, I asked the question like, why snow? Why is white as snow? And I think it's because snow generally is like one of the most pure things that we can think of. I mean, we think of it's, I mean, it's absolute purity, white as snow, we say that phrase. And that's how God sees us. That's how the Father sees us in Jesus, that he sees us white as snow. He doesn't look at us according to our past sins. He looks at us as being washed white as snow. And the early church, uh, there'd be stories of people when they would get baptized. And this was kind of a tradition, and I think people still do this today. But there was uh, what they would do is they would get ready to get baptized, but they would put on a bunch of filthy, dirty clothes, and they would go down into the water. But underneath those clothes, they would have a gleaming white, white as snow robe. And so they would go under the water. And then while they were under the water, they would take off the outer dirty garment and that they would come up with the clean garment. It was an amazing picture because the dirty garment would float down. And it was a picture of how they now are in Christ. This is how God sees us. This is so amazing. But the interesting thing about baptism is it's not just a picture of what has happened to us, but it's also a prophetic thing of what will happen to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 says, 
uh, through 55 says, for the perishable body, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This is a future prophecy about what's going to happen to each one of us who are in Christ. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So not only are we reenacting something through baptism of what has happened internally that is or external that has happened internally, and not only are we reenacting uh, the death and burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ, but we're also prophetically proclaiming that one day, literally, our physical body will take on immortality, and we too, with Jesus, will be resurrected. Jesus was the prototype, the first fruits, uh, as the scripture says, that he was the first fruits of being raised from the dead, and we too will, God will take this body and make it new. You know, at the beginning of this series, we talked about the Hebrew word tov, which is the word good, which is what God used as he created the world, and sin entered the world, and ever since then, God is retoving the world. And in this sense, God will retove our body. We don't necessarily know how that's going to happen or what it will look like. We have hints of it in Jesus. But when we get baptized, it's a prophetic picture of what will happen to us, which is amazing. So that we can say, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So when we're at a funeral and we say, well, they're not really here, that's really only partially true because uh, the, the body is part of them, body, soul, spirit. God will somehow take that and make that new. But once we are baptized, is that our only interaction with baptism, like the day we get baptized and then the future day when we actually get raised from the dead? Or are there some things that we need to, to stay connected to this baptismal idea throughout our Christian walk? I believe there are, and here are some of those things. All right, tag myself from Thursday. Um, no, there are some things. See, sometimes we think baptism is just something we do and then we're done with it, but it no, there, there, I believe there are some things about baptism that you can touch back on pretty much every day of your life, okay? And, and so I want to remind us of a couple of things that we might need to hit back on every day that connects us back with baptism and this baptismal identity. The first one is this. It, we need to remind ourselves that, that we left our old life in the waters of baptism. How do you guys need that reminder from time to time that I left my old life there? Like my old life is there. I, I, I'm no longer the same person. One of my favorite scriptures is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It, it, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. My old life is gone. God doesn't see me according to my past. And I have to go back sometimes, almost daily, and go back to the baptismal waters and remind myself that I left my old life there. I left my old life there. I have been crucified. What, what does that look like? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What does that, that look like? It means, well, I no longer have the right to be offended if Jesus isn't. I may have a lot of reasons. But if I'm truly crucified with Christ, and it's really not me, that's, that's live, but it's Christ in me. Then I don't, I don't have a right to be offended if Jesus isn't because he's the one living through me because I exchanged something at the waters of baptism, my life for his, right? My thoughts for his, my desires for his, my will for his. That's what I exchanged at the waters of baptism. 
Hey, we got any Seinfeld fans in the building? Any, any Seinfeld fans? Okay, some of you guys Seinfeld fans. The other guys, you just have to just, just humor us. But uh, th- there's one of the characters in Seinfeld. His name's Kramer. He's the tall one. He's kind of crazy. And there's this guy who doesn't have any good stories in his life. He's a pretty boring guy. And so Kramer has all these crazy stories in his life. And so in one episode, he writes up this contract to sell all of his stories to this guy. So now this guy can tell the stories as if they were his own stories, and Kramer can no longer tell those stories anymore. And so the episode unfolds as Kramer keeps trying to tell these stories that are no longer his, and they're now this guy's. Well, in a crazy, weird way, that's kind of what happens to us. We're no longer, it's no longer our story, but it's Christ's story in us. We now live out his story. It's not, we, we sold ours, so it, it's now his story in us, so it's no longer my life rights. I exchanged those with Christ at baptism. I, I no longer get to call the shots. I no longer get to choose who to love, how to love, when to love. It's Jesus who gets to choose that because he's, he's the one that's living in me. I, I've been crucified with Christ. You know, so we talk about taking up our cross daily. You don't get physically baptized every single day, but you might have to wander back into the waters of baptism daily and remind yourself that, my old life is left there. But another thing that reminds us of, that we have to remind ourselves of, is this, that a new life is on the other side of every faith obedience. So as we walk by faith into the waters of baptism as a new believer, and we follow that by faith, that faith obedience, what happens as you come up out of the water? A new life. But that's not the only time a new life happens Because every time there's a faith obedience, there's a new life on the other side of that. And you might have to walk in that every single day of your life, that there is a new life on the other side of faith obedience. There's a couple pictures in Scripture that tie in some Old Testament stories with New Covenant stuff. And one of those is found in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. It helps us understand this. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is a picture of baptism. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Now we tie this in with Noah. Like, why is this tied in with Noah? Well, let's, we're going to see why. It says, they, it waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Here there's a picture of baptism that is tied in with Noah and the ark because the ark saved people as they went through the waters of baptism and that they were saved. And there's this picture, this tie-in, that's giving us a picture of what baptism is like. And it says, baptism, it actually just says it plain out, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal for, to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So imagine that you're Noah and God comes to you and he says, I want you to build a boat. There's never been rain in the history. You don't even know what it is. But go ahead and build this boat. It's going to take you hundreds of years to build this boat or a hundred years to build this boat. And by faith, he starts to build it. And you can imagine how scary that must have been and how much he probably tried to talk himself out of that a thousand times, right? But literally for Noah, a new life was on the other side of the waters, A new life for them was on the other side of that faith obedience. And it didn't make sense. It was hard to understand, but they acted in faith. How many of you guys have ever been in a situation where it didn't make sense, you didn't understand, but you acted in faith? What happened? A new life was on the other side. There was a new opportunity on the other side 
of that faith obedience. And that's, that's why, you know, many people have said this. I've said this before, but maybe somebody needs to be reminded of this today that delayed obedience is disobedience. Sometimes we just kind of put things off, but it's that faith obedience that brings us that new life opportunity. There's another story in the Old Testament of a guy named Naaman. Naaman found out he had leprosy. So he goes to the prophet who's been healing people and doing miracles, and he says, hey, i got leprosy. Can you heal me? And the prophet says, how about you go down into the Jordan? There's kind of a theme going on here. Go into the Jordan, into the waters, and dip seven times, and then you'll be clean, you'll be made whole. And Naaman walked away frustrated and angry, and he talks to his servant, and he's like, why does he want me to go down? That seems so silly. It's like, why dip in this? I mean, aren't there other rivers that are cleaner than the Jordan? I mean, why go there? And he lists off all these rivers, and he's frustrated. And then his servant says to him, he says, well, if he would have asked you to do something really hard, wouldn't you have done it? But since it's so simple, like you had a problem with it, and Naaman's like, well, I guess, yeah, it is pretty simple. And if he'd asked me to do something really hard, I probably would have done it because I thought there would have been a key in doing something hard. And so he ends up going down to the river and he dips once and twice. And I always wonder what happens if he stops at six, you know, instead of going all the way to seven. But he goes to the seventh time and he comes out and he's completely made whole. It didn't make sense. He didn't understand it. But for Naaman, a new life was on the other side of the waters. A new life was on the other side of faith obedience. How many times have God asked you to do something very simple? And because it was so simple, you thought, well, it can't be that. <laughs> like, that can't be the key to the breakthrough. That's too simple. And if God would give you something really, really hard, you'd think, I would do that because I identify with how hard I work for God. But sometimes God gives you something very simple, right? Because it's not about how hard you work for God. It's about faith, obedience. He didn't understand it. It didn't make sense, but he acted in faith, and a new life was on the other side of that obedience. I heard this week something that maybe somebody else needs to hear today. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. When you come and you get baptized for the first time, you don't understand all theology. You don't understand. Like, people who have been following Jesus all their life don't understand it all, Right? So we don't come to the waters of baptism because we understand it all. We come to the waters of baptism because we're obedient, because we follow by faith. And some of us are waiting to follow Jesus until we understand it all, until it all makes sense. We're waiting to take that step that we know we're supposed to take, but sometimes it seems so simple that it doesn't make sense to us and we don't understand it, but understanding can wait. Obedience cannot. And as the worship team comes back up, I'll give you one more example. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you can read this on your own. But it ties in with uh, this idea of baptism and Moses. Remember Moses. Here we have water again, the Red Sea. Moses takes the people through the Red Sea. And by that, they are saved and they walk into a brand new life. By that faith, obedience. A new life was on the other side of the water. It didn't make sense. They didn't understand it. But they acted in faith and a new life was on the other side of faith, obedience. And I feel like somebody needs to hear this today. Like right now, you do not understand it. Someday you will, but right now you don't. And if you wait until you fully understand, you may wait yourself out of God's will. Let me say that again. Some of you right now, you don't understand it. Someday you will, 
But if you wait until you understand it, you may wait yourself out of God's will. And God can take all the pieces and he can make something out of it. I'm not trying to scare anybody today. I am trying to implore us to be obedient. Because God's grace is so amazing. It's so good. God's grace, I heard somebody say this. I think it was Dallas Willard said this, that God's grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. There's nothing wrong with being obedient. In fact, we're employed to do that. We don't receive God's grace just so we can never follow him in obedience. We receive God's grace so we can have the power to follow him in obedience. I heard somebody say to me this week, or last week, kind of attributed it to me, but I don't, I don't even remember saying it. <laughs> it's not the year of how, it's the year of wow. I thought, man, that was so encouraging. Because sometimes we try to figure out the how all the time. How do you guys know? We're connected to the wow. We're connected. And when you don't understand, just go back to the baptismal identity. And remember, I left my old life there. And remember, I walk in faith obedience. And as I walk in faith obedience, a new life is on the other side. Oh, man, isn't baptism so cool? Didn't we? I mean, before today, it's like, I, I knew that was something I should do or that I did. But, man, how powerful is it? reminded of what happened today for people. Would you guys stand up with me? Can we respond and worship to God? Lord, we just thank you so much for what you've done for us. That we have been crucified with you. Our old life is gone. It's no longer us that live. But you've given us the power. We exchanged our life for yours. And your life is so much better. The life of God in us, working through us, is so much more powerful than in our flesh than anything we could do in our own strength. So Lord, we're reminded of that, that our old life is gone. We're no longer viewed by our past. But Lord, we have a new life in you. We are new creations in you. The old life is gone. The new is come. And listen, if you're here today and you, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, right now you can even just right there where you're at, just say, God, I give my life to you. I want to receive your grace. I want to leave my old life and walk into a new life with you. I believe that you died and you rose from the dead. And I want to connect my life with yours. I want to exchange my life and give it to you. And I want to receive your life right now. And you can do that even right there where you're at. It's not some magical prayer you have to pray. You just, just right there in your own words, just however you want to say that. Just say, God, I need you. God, I surrender to you. God, I want to follow you. Thank you. I confess that you're Lord of my life and I leave my old ways and I turn to you, to you. And all of us are reminded of how good your grace is, God, right now. And we're so thankful for it. Come on, let's respond and worship to him today.